Yes, it would appear that women and girls have been the biggest losers under the new regime imposed by the Taliban. Despite all their commitments to more openness, females basically can't exist outside their homes, bringing strong condemnation and pleas from people like the activist Moloda Tawana. Speaking here at a protest rally recorded this week in Pakistan. Still now the international community are uh, silent and they do not uh, took or take any uh, serious decision against the Taliban. Uh, once again, we shout and we loud our voice. We want the international community to pay attention to the situation of Afghanistan. So the situation is grim, but there are points of light. People are prepared to risk their safety to continue providing education to girls. And as we'll hear shortly, they're finding some creative ways to do this, helped by some Australians, among others. Joining me now is Ali Reza Yunuspur, who came here as a refugee almost two decades ago. He now works as an academic at the University of Melbourne, and he's particularly interested in education pathways for refugees. And Hawa Ahmadi is a much more recent arrival from Afghanistan, but already involved in her community in Adelaide through the Afghan Australian Women's Association. Thank you both for joining me. Hi, Geraldine. Thank you. Hi, thank you. And before we start our conversation, here's some more context offered by the BBC's Zari Kagar. When the Taliban took power in 2021, they promised that their ruling will be different to what they had in 1996. Within a month of their ruling, Things changed for women. The first thing I remember reporting was uh, for women not to return to offices, women who worked in government offices, and they're still not back. The second thing, they announced that all secondary school girls should remain at home. Only primary school girls are currently allowed. The other major ban they put in place was ban on girls in universities. So there is no university with a female student at the moment in Afghanistan. Maybe there are some private classes or underground classes going on, but official government universities have no female students. Now, Ali, without putting anything at risk, any efforts that you know of at risk, can you alert listeners, please, to ventures that are underway to cut across those Taliban bans? Thank you, Geraldine, for this opportunity, uh, and we are grateful for you and, and your team's advocacy on this issue. Of course, it's a very difficult time for girls and women and all of the people of Afghanistan with the second anniversary of the Taliban's return to power. So anything that I would say um, doesn't do justice for the suffering and the difficult time that people have been through. But in my view, considering the Taliban bans on formal education, there are at least three alternative ways that people have tried to go around the Taliban bans on education. The first one is the formal distance education that has provided to a very small number of Afghan boys and girls outside the country. These are provided through a scholarship from Western universities and non-Western higher education institutions in the past two years. Uh, and in, that's, still in my, going, that's still underway, is it? 
that's right. And a leading example of this initiative is the Asian University for Women in Bangladesh, for example. I'm also aware that some American universities have also been providing a scholarship to Afghan female students. And also a number of female students uh, have been studying in Pakistani, Iranian and Indian universities, either on their own cost or by the support of their family members or relatives, particularly in Western countries. So this uh, scholarship is a key support for uh, female students at the moment uh, and, and in my view probably a little hope for some of those girls, especially the ones who have been outside the country. And I think what is also interesting with that Asian University for Women in Bangladesh is that they have not only maintained their commitment to their existing scholarship when the Taliban came to power, but they've also given new scholarship. And I'm aware that some of the female students, a very small number, in fact, actually arrived a few weeks ago to that university from Afghanistan. So that's a very, very good initiative. And and I think similar initiative could be supported in uh, other countries as well. Uh, So the Taliban is allowing those women to leave, to go to these particular places, are they? No, some of them are distant, some of them are in person. So some of these girls have actually left Afghanistan not under the premise that they go for education oh, to Bangladesh. I see. I see. So they've gone to regional countries in Iran and Pakistan or other countries and then have made their way to Bangladesh for education. So at the airport, for example, the Taliban wasn't aware that they had this visa for Bangladesh for their education in the Asian University for Women. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I mean, are any Australian colleges or universities doing something like that? Could they? For the Australian universities, as as part of my advocacy, but also the advocacy that more broadly the human rights activists and people who have been advocating for refugees, uh, they've been calling on similar initiative for Australian universities to do. And I think one of the things that they've been calling for the Australian government is to expand student visa eligibility, but also a skilled visa, because a number of Afghan women and girls who fled the country and they're in regional countries, some of them might have humanitarian visa applications, but there are calls in Australia for Australian universities, but also for Australian government to expand eligibility of a skilled and education visa. But we have not Uh, had any uh, major breakthrough. Look, I want to bring Hawa in, but just very quickly, is it possible to summarise those other two areas that you said? Yes, and and that's also important because um, I think the other two are mostly related to people who study inside the country. One of them is, of course, informal distance education. So these are distance education that are provided by private enterprises, INGOs, non-government organisation and Afghan diaspora that have been supporting education through internet, but also some of the public and private TV networks. The problem with this form of distance education is that their reach has been very limited, particularly in urban areas, and this is partly because uh, electricity and internet access has not been regular. Uh, Even in places like Kabul, there are days where family do not have access to electricity for up to 20 hours. The other alternative education is, of course, secret schools in, you know, homes, mosques and madrasas. This is, again, communities within the country, but also diaspora 
communities outside of Afghanistan have been trying to support secret schools for girls. Some of them do teach at secondary level, some of them teach in primary levels, and these are again very much informal schools. Uh, and this is not something for the first time happening. In fact, when the Taliban was in power between 1996 to 2001, similar secret schools existed. And I remember a 1997 report by the Swedish committee, which said that at the time there were about 125 girls' schools operating right. secretly. I had heard that there were sort of Zoom calls, there was education being provided very quietly by people in Australia offering via Zoom uh, materials and, and help, which was sort of fascinating to hear. But as I said, you can't give too many details because because it's not wise. Can I bring in Hawa now? Because you're a very recent observer. You've been here, I think, a a relatively short time in Australia. You're 18. You're involved now through the Afghan-Australian Women's Association. Did you believe the Taliban's promise when they took over that girls would be able to continue their schooling in particular? Well, the Taliban has ruled Afghanistan before as well. And we kind of knew them and they've never kept their promises. They have been targeting girls in schools for the last 20 years and they've done like suicide attacks inside school, inside mosques and in the shopping centres. And I don't think anyone could trust those people, those murderers, who has a long history of killing and attacking on school students, especially, especially women. And how could anyone believe that their mentalities will change? The mentality that women are not for school and women do not deserve freedom. And now you, we you, you were one of six sisters yep. and you and your sisters, I understand, were all at school or at uni or working. Two were teachers. You were at school. You had a plan to go to university. What made you decide you had to leave? So we left Afghanistan because even though we were working, even though we were studying, all of us in schools, but there was still a lot of things going on for women in Afghanistan. Girls' schools had been attacked by Taliban, even before they were the government. They had attacked women's schools around us, even in Kabul. We kind of were scared. Um, Are you able to keep in contact with friends and family back in Afghanistan? Yep, yep. I've got lots of friends in there, my school friends. And are they and, going uh, to school? No, no, they're not going to school. The schools are just banned for all of girls in Afghanistan. I think just the primary school is still on uh, for up to years three or four, I'm not sure, but not for adult women. And not even secretive, like they're not able to access any of these things that um, Ali was telling us about? Uh, the Zoom calls? No, no, mm-hmm. they're not. They can't access because... My friends, all of them are from middle families and accessing internet is not as easy as it is in here. Now, now you did tell our producer about a cousin of yours who I think is 18 and who's Uh now engaged. And I think your best friend just got married and is now learning sewing and hoping to make an income that way in order to study. So, like, these are changed circumstances from their original plans, I take it, are they? Yep, yep. Uh, so my best friend, she doesn't have a brother just like me. And she's an orphan. Uh, her father was a police who had died in a, a bomb attack in Kabul, Afghanistan, when uh, when she was just a kid. She and her sisters were all studying 
hoping that they will get a job in future and provide, uh, you know, to bring food to home. But when Taliban came, all of her sisters couldn't work anymore and uh, she couldn't go to school anymore. So all of her sisters are married too now because, well, what other options did they have except marrying their cousins? Mm. And I think, yeah. The famed Lise Doucette, you know, the BBC's Middle East correspondent, was very powerful on their um, podcast the other day just saying girls are sitting at home looking at the wall. (laughs) You know, they just can't go out virtually. It's it's utterly tragic. Look, uh, final question to you, Ali, before it all sounds completely hopeless. Are there ways forward? Do you see any changes possibly coming? And I wonder again, is there more that Australia could do? Yeah, um, and and again, I I reiterate Howard's point about early and first marriages that are in the rise in in Afghanistan and have been particularly in the past two years, which is, you know, of course, very disturbing and very sad. And there are some UN reports confirming that, you know, life for women and girls have become particularly difficult. The alternative education that communities have attempted and, you know, the Afghan diaspora have been trying to include in the you know, support in, in Afghanistan, these are uh, still very limited. Uh, in my view, informal education never replaces formal schooling. The main thing is that the Taliban need to be, uh, you know, pressured um, and, and, and you know, the international community should speak with one voice because I think what they're trying to manipulate at the moment very carefully uh, and, and in my view very cleverly is that they're using the divisions that have emerged between major powers, particularly uh, around the conflict in Ukraine, uh, the regional uh, power rivalries between regional countries. They're using those to to get away with this restriction against women. And so I think speaking with one voice against the regime is very important. And I think that would be uh, a starting point. The second Mm. thing I think in the meantime, what countries like Australia can do is I hope that we continue to see the increased humanitarian intake uh, for Afghans, particularly women and girls who have been impacted and, and continue to be impacted. Some of them, of course, have been in, um, you know, regional countries. Some of them are in um, other countries and some are still within Afghanistan. So I think an increased humanitarian intake is very important. Uh, It is encouraging for me that the Australian government announced the other day that they would increase the humanitarian intake from about 17 or 18,000 last year to about 20,000 this financial year. And we hope that some of those increased places would be given to Afghan women and girls. Um, I also would like to, you know, continue to call on Australian universities and tertiary education institutions to offer a scholarship, whether through distance education or if any way possible to uh, support girls and women in Afghanistan. Um, The other alternative would be complementary pathways of humanitarian entrance. So this is through considering their education, but also other uh, pathways that the Australian government could expand for Afghan applicants. Look, thank you both very much indeed. It's not exactly a nice uh, anniversary. Uh, It's nicer to have pointers that uh, really give hope, but they're not exactly easy to find. Ali Reza, Yunus Poor and Hawa Amadi, thank you. Thank you. Thank you, you, Geraldine. 
And uh, Ali is from the uh, University of Melbourne School of Political and Social Sciences and Hawi is a recent refugee arrival now settled in Adelaide. And look, if you happen to be in Melbourne on September the 5th, he will be participating in a panel discussion about supporting refugee students in higher education. And you can find a link on our website. I might add there are others coming through also suggesting we follow up whether some of the Taliban are sending their children overseas for education. So look, we will. We will keep an eye on this. ABCRN helps you understand the world. Find more of our stories on the ABC Listen app.